Uh, welcome back to STEM Fatal, your Woo. women in science history podcast. Yeah, I'm, uh, I almost said I'm Emily Gremlin, <laughs> but I'm not. I'm Emma Dilemma. And I'm Emlyn Gremlin. Yeah. And it's been like a month since we last recorded. So we don't really remember how to do this, <laughs> but we, uh, you might, you might hear us a little crisper. Hopefully a little cleaner. Maybe I don't sound like I'm in a different room or Guys, we've been recording from my laptop the whole time. We just realized that it's not been using our microphone. Uh, we're stupid idiots. So if Emma's always seemed far away, it's because she's not facing my laptop. But now we're actually using the microphone we've been talking into like for 17 nice episodes. <laughs> The microphone we always would put closer to me and then be like, why does she still sound so Why is it not doing anything? So, two PhDs. You know what? We're not getting our PhDs in sound engineering. No, no, we are not. Um, (laughs) Or computers or anything related to technology, I guess. I don't know. Some, we can code an R, but yeah. we can't freaking... Hook up a microphone <laughs> to our computer via USB. Oh my gosh. Anyway, well, so I hope, I hope this is an improved we hope sound. This sounds better. Yeah. It is recording with the microphone. Are you, are you asking me? Yeah. Um, Wait, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. We can listen back. No, no. Do you need to check? No, no. Okay. I believe um, it. <laughs> And something also new about this week is that Emma knows who I'm talking about this week because I spilled it accidentally <laughs> over beer. After over beers, and I went. I was, ta- I was talking to someone else across the across the table from Emma, and she asked what the woman of the week was, and I told her, and then Emma just gave me this look like, like hey, hey, and I was like, I don't understand why, and I was like, oh yeah, these are supposed to be surprises. Yeah, hmm. that's hmm. okay. That's okay. I mean, I didn't. I've heard obviously heard of this person which we'll announce soon yes in the next two minutes but first i want to give a shout out to uh mm. jenna saffin at laughing saffin who guest our woman of the week this week and she has a ted ed lesson on the interwebs on <laughs> yeah. ted.com about how to build a dark matter detector that's crazy um, so if you're interested in psycom and interested in some dark dark matter then check that out dark matter um so yeah it's really cool yeah so i don't have a question for you emma today right but will you introduce (laughs) our woman of the week sure (laughs) uh our uh the scientist that emlyn will be telling (laughs) you about today is a famous woman known by the name of lisa meitner Take it away, Emily Gremlin. <laughs> okay. All right. So I want to start out by saying that I read this book by Melanie Fine called Fission Girl, Lisa, Lisa Meitner's Escape from Nazi Germany, which Ooh. was a very fast read. Wow. Uh, and I recommend it. It's pretty much just like a timeline. So it will be like this date and then what happens. Oh, but okay. It's, like, the history of World War II is just interspersed in it because you can't kind of extract her right. life from World War II, that it's very fast and very interesting. And That's anyways, really it was fun. cool, yeah. So a lot of what I'm talking about is pulled directly. That's, like, her, my main source for this oh, week. Oh, very nice. It's from that book. Awesome. Okay, so I will set the stage. Ooh, please do. <laughs> uh, Lisa Meitner was born Elise Meitner on November 7th, 1878, uh, into a Jewish upper-middle-class family in Vienna. And in Vienna, at the time, girls were not accepted into the University of Vienna until the year 1897. Mm. And one reason for this was that Vienna's version of high school at the time was only open to men. Cool. Uh, so <laughs> you can, the high school is kind of the first step in order to get into college. Yeah, right. Um, and so Lise had to prepare privately to pass this big series of exams um, at the completion of secondary school. But then she, in 1901, she began studying physics at the University of Vienna as one of the first women admitted to the university. Nice. Good for her. Yeah. So just a little little bit of trouble. 
And probably a lot of trouble. I said <laughs> yeah. a little bit, but probably a lot. Yeah. Um, and while at the University of Vienna, she studied under Lud- Ludwig, I'm guessing all my W's are V's. Yeah. Under Ludwig Boltzmann, who, according to Lise, Lise's nephew, Otto Robert Fritz, uh, Boltzmann gave her the vision of physics as a battle for ultimate truth, a vision she never lost. Wow. So she got really, really excited in physics, though I was reading that as a child, she also would like keep a little notebook under her bed, under her like pillow of like things she had Aww. noted about like, you know, oil slick colors and, you know, she That's, was very interested. Yeah, in just curious about mm-hmm, everything. Recording things. And so Le- Lisa Meitner received her doctorate in physics in 1905 becoming the second woman in history to earn a physics doctorate from the University of Vienna. Wow. Do you know who the first was? I do not know. We'll probably talk about whoever probably it is at some point. Yeah, and I'm kind of going... There's so much to yeah. talk about with her <laughs> that I'm going... Kind of skipping into her later years just oh, so okay. that I can get into it. Because it's... Ooh, I'm excited. An exciting ride. Yeah. So... Then, after she got her PhD from the University of Vienna, she went to the University of Berlin, where uh, Max Planck, mm. who's a very famous yeah. uh, physicist, German physicist, uh, he allowed her to attend his lectures, which apparently was a novel thing for Max Planck, because he generally didn't let women attend his lectures. But oh, he made cool. an exception for her. <laughs> uh, lucky her. Huh. And then later, she became Max Planck's assistant. And at the University of Berlin, Lisa met her lifetime professional collaborator, Otto Hahn. She was now an unpaid kind of assistant for Max Planck. But she was a scientist, so she wanted to actually, like, do science versus just be an assistant. So, but bringing Lisa into the chemistry department at the University of Berlin was quite difficult. And Emil Fischer, who was the chairman of the Chemistry Institute, refused to let women into the lab at that time, for fear that their hair would catch fire. Because you can't, like, pull your hair back. Also, this man has, like, the largest beard. I, like, looked up pictures. Oh, my God. What an (laughs) idiot. As if, like, women are just, like, flinging their hair around without a care. They don't know how to avoid fire. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um... So stupid. All the excuses men use for years to keep women out of science. Yeah. They're insane. Also, I'm sure some men had longer hair than... I mean, I guess that at that time it wasn't a big, like, long-haired uh, Yeah, that wasn't... thing. No. But, mm. anyways. And so, at this time, women also weren't legally permitted to Prussian universities anyway. So, mm. Fisher considered it generous when he let Meitner work in a former oh. carpenter shop in the so university's basement. So generous. And this location was acceptable because it had a separate outside entrance just oh for her. God. And in order to use the bathroom, Lisa had to patronage a restaurant down the street. Cool. Yeah. Or maybe <laughs> just like shit in the basement. Almost as good as that uh, hut that Katsuko Sarahashi <laughs> had to stay in in San Diego. <laughs> like, oh, uh, I forgot about the hut. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's, this is where she's working. She's not getting paid, also. They're allowing her to do research by herself she, in a basement. How did she live? Like, get her father was okay. supporting her, I that's think, at good. this time. He was, I think, one of the first Jewish lawyers in Austria. So okay. I think they were relatively okay. And so I think he was the one paying okay. for her that's until cool. she eventually yeah, might right. get paid. Oh. That's why I added might. She may or may not get paid. Okay, so then around this time, the Rutherford Gold Experiments, also known as the Geiger-Marston Experiments, were performed. I kind of remember this from physics. Yeah, so like based on bombarding um, these particles against this thin gold sheet, Uh they determined that these atoms must be composed of a really, really dense positive center. Cool. And so that was their discovery of, like, you know, positive, like, positive, yeah. like, what are those called? Positrons? No. Wait, I can't. Protons? Think. Protons. Oh, my God. I was thinking positrons once you said it. I was yeah. like, I can't think of another word. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's positive. Yeah, once you have something in your head, it's hard to. 
Gosh, we're just like... Oh, man. Are we losing our minds? I think so, a little bit. <laughs> so, okay, so Rutherford credited Lisa Meitner's previous work in the scattering of alpha particles as an impetus for this study. Hmm. And okay. though well-known in scientific circles, Lisa was not an employee of the University of Berlin, as there was almost no path for which a woman could assume a university position. So this hmm. huge experiment that's super, super famous, this... Rutherford Gold experiment yeah. was partially due to Lisa, even though she didn't have any position because she couldn't get a position. So, but was she publishing or she was, was publishing like under L. Meitner? Oh, wow. So Rutherford visited the lab of Lisa Meitner and Otto Hahn shortly after winning the Nobel Prize for some of this work. Uh huh. And after learning that Meitner was a woman, which for some reason he had not known because she was publishing under L. Meitner, she was made to accompany Rutherford's wife Christmas shopping while Han and Rutherford talked science. What a dick. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much parts of this. She had to go? I I mean, I don't think they like... Maybe he was like, oh, you don't want to talk science. Yeah, you should go with my wife. Yeah. Collect. I was going to talk to you about science, but you'd rather be shopping. Yeah, go shop with my uh, wife. Buy me some pies. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's fun. And so then Otto Hahn took a position in the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute for Chemistry as a scientific associate with the title professor. And Lisa Meitner, his research partner in all of his chemical endeavors, as well as having her own significant reputation as a physicist was not offered any job because of her gender and was given the option to join Han as a guest. So she went and worked in that institute as a guest. Nice. But then late in 1912, so she got her PhD in 1905. And in 1912, Max Planck hired Lise as an assistant and although she had been the author of numerous scientific journal articles, this was her first paid position as a physicist. That is so unethical and terrible. <laughs> so there, she was just in that basement, cranking out theories. I mean... Unpaid. It's like, she's lucky. I mean, she's not... She she's, obviously had to face hardships, but at least she could afford to yeah, not be paid for some time. Mm-hmm. But it's like... No wonder so many women couldn't break into science yeah. if no one was willing to pay for them mm-hmm. to, like, have those positions yeah. like that. You couldn't do it, like, if yeah. you're not getting paid at all, like, yeah. you can only pursue that for so right. long. Man. Yeah. Okay, so during World War One, yeah, so World War One happens, and then... <laughs> We always skip boat. We're always like, and then there was World War One, but World War Two is very right? <laughs> no, interesting. Well, there's yeah. It's like I mean, history class is a little bit like that too. Uh, I know. It's like World War One's like bad, and then World War Two is just like what? a mind fuck. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So during World War One, uh, Lisa Meitner served as an X-ray technician on the Austrian front. Um, oh wow. Yeah, because she, I think she. Wanted to do something yeah, to help the war really effort. That's really cool. While Otto Hahn worked alongside... So this is in Germany, remember? Right. Okay. Uh, but so, she went back to Austria to fight or to help her country in World War One. I, I guess? I guess so, yeah. Yeah. Ooh. So Otto Hahn worked alongside Fritz Haber in the German Gas Warfare Unit, Ooh. working on creating chemical weapons such as chlorine gas. Ew. Yeah. Ugh. Also... Fritz Haber, a little bit after this, won a Nobel Prize. Good. Great. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good yep, for yep, him. Yep. Cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. So while Otto continued to work for the German war effort, Lisa, having finished her war service, returned to her, their laboratory and worked diligently to find, essentially to find an element that transmuted and give, gave off actinium. Essentially, they had evidence from a bunch of experiments that there was some unknown element yeah. that would uh, transmute and give off actinium. Okay. And the reason that they knew this was that there was silica residue in a uranium ore, and the amount of actinium in this, I guess, solution was increasing, and that can only happen if something else is decomposing into actinium. 
Gotcha. So within a contained... Following. Yeah, within a (laughs) contained substance, there was an increase in actinium, meaning that something in that substance was changing into actinium. Okay, yeah. But using what Lisa learned in studying radioactivity decay... Um, she predicted the existence of an element that decayed into actinium, and eventually she and Han were able to isolate and identify this element. Okay. Cool. And they named this new element protactinium. Wow. And she was awarded the Leib- uh, Leibniz Medal of the Berlin Academy of Sciences for this work. Wow. And the same year, she was granted her own physics section at the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute. For chemistry. So she was, like, becoming a big scientist yeah. in Germany. Yes. Yeah. Which, she was becoming a big physicist name in Germany, uh-huh. and Germany was where all physics pretty much was taking oh, place. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good to know. It was where, like, all of the yeah. radioactivity, where they were, like, bombarding uranium and then seeing how alpha decay and beta decay were right. turning it into transmuting things. Like, they were learning that you could turn different elements into new elements yeah. Based on bombarding them and bar- bombarding their nuclei. Yeah. Anyways, so yeah, she, she was deep in that mess. So now, these days, Germany is known for its ant biologists. Yeah, are they? <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of like German ant biologists. Mm. It's like, it's kind of crazy. It's a little more peaceful, I think. There's less <laughs> less bad less things that can happen. Less physics, more yeah. ants. Less chemical warfare. <laughs> Less chemical warfare and nuclear bombs more social organisms. and more social organisms. Yeah. Yeah. Seems fine. Okay. Though Lisa had done most of the work while Han was performing his war service mm-hmm. on determining protactinium, uh, Han's name was first on the paper due to Lisa's deep loyalty for their partnership. Wow. And after the war, Lisa Meitner was also promoted to scientific associate, though. So she had a title of professor, placing her for the first time on equal footing with Han. <gasps> oh so my gosh. Good. Wow. Yeah. She worked her way up. She nice. did. And then Lisa Meitner became an official university lecturer about four years after German women in other academic fields were given the right to habilitation. So habilitation <laughs> is essentially like almost... So I know. It sounds... It sounds scary, but I, from what I was looking up, it's in the German system. If you want to become a professor, it's kind of like a second thesis you do. Oh, okay. Which is like, these. this is the independent research I've done that makes me, you know, it's like you're ready ten- to be. Tenure. Yeah, 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 it's pretty much like, like your tenure promotion yeah. seminar. It's yeah. a big other hoop and you have to give a big talk and okay. say these are all this is all the work I've done. Okay. And why you should make me a professor. Yeah, so Meitner delivered her habilitation lecture on August 7th, 1922, entitled The Significance of Radioactivity for Cosmic Processes. And uh, a member of the academic press mistakenly referred to her lecture as having to do with cosmetic processes. Wow. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, the f- the physics of cosmetics, uh-huh. of makeup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. You know. Oh my god. He just assumed. He's like. Women like wait, makeup the and cosmos shopping. Cosmos or the no, cosmetics? You, you could, yeah, the cosmetics, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. <sighs> okay. <laughs> like Lisa Meitner was uh, in a CVS, like, well, this <laughs> lipstick looks different from this one. <laughs> if you leave them out long enough. Uh, this one's shaped more aerodynamically. Yeah. This one dries on your lips and makes you chalky. <laughs> Things are chalky. Yeah. Uh, so Otto Hahn, Meitner's research partner, assumed uh, during this time the interim directorship of the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute mm. uh, in Haber's place. Haber, the one who yeah. made the chemical gas. And then following the Nazis' bidding, he fired German-Jewish scientists and any others oh, no. perceived as enemies of the state. Oh, so he just went along with it. And, however, Lisa Meitner stayed on, apparently because she wasn't German herself. She was Austrian. Did Some he things know didn't... that she was Jewish? Or... Um, so I guess she... they were close. I didn't mention this, but in the early... Like, 1908 or something like that, she converted to Christianity. Oh, okay. Don't think that... Ma- ca- I don't think the Nazis really cared about that. No. Because if you're born Jewish... Yeah, if her family yeah, at exactly. all. Yeah. So... But yeah, so she wasn't like a... She wasn't practicing. practicing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyways, so then according to Melanie Fine in her biography, she writes, Why did she stay? The same question could be asked of hundreds of thousands of others who stayed when there was still time to leave. At least on, at least on Lisa's part, she was a physicist, physicist on par with the greatest physicists of her generation. Yeah. Einstein, Schrodinger, and Planck doing the work she loved. She earned this position of prominence amid a lifetime of societal and institutional sexism, and the idea of starting from scratch some, scratch somewhere else was inconceivable. Yeah. So... And I think it's just hard to believe what's happening mm-hmm. is happening. Yeah, and I think she kept thinking that it would get better, not yeah. worse, which it did not. No. Okay, so on April 7th, 1933... Lisa Meitner's authorization to teach at the University of Berlin was rescinded because she was not 100%. Oh, no, she was 100% non-Aryan. So she was not allowed to teach. Yeah, okay. Wow. And... What a weird 100% non-Aryan. Yeah. (laughs) What what really sucks is that she was not grandfathered in as some of her Jewish colleagues were. Because I guess if you had achieved full professorship before, like, 1922... You were grandfathered in for some reason, even if you were Jewish. I don't quite understand this. That's weird. I've but, never heard of that. I mean, I'm sure that only lasted for a while. Yeah. Ugh. But she didn't receive full professorship professorship before 1922 solely because of her gender. So uh, it was like a double whammy yeah. of like... Like she couldn't... She, yeah. she didn't have a job for a long time because of her gender, and then she lost her job because oh of her gender. God. Anyways, Meitner was subsequently barred from both scientific societies and wasn't allowed to present scientific papers. So she, it's like very hard for her to do anything scientifically. However, Meitner and Hahn proceeded to irradiate uranium with their slow energy neutron source, hoping to create new elements beyond uranium, Mm. uh, uh, referred to as transuranic elements. So yeah, so they're just like bombarding uranium to try to increase the number of neutrons to create new elements. Cool. Then Fritz Strassmann, who's an analytical chemist, um, he refused to join the Nazi party and had isolated himself from other scientific colleagues, rendering himself unemployable. And in doing so, however, he was a perfect match for Lise Meitner, who was growing increasingly more isolated herself, having lost her job and... You know, couldn't go to any scientific conferences. However, Hahn, Meitner, and Strassmann then worked together and published in Naturwissenschaften their, disco- <laughs> their discovery of more transuranic elements, echerhenium and echeosmium. Oh, I don't, I've never heard of those. I don't think. I, I don't think they're elements. Oh. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> Um, Maybe but, they don't exist yeah. anymore. Yeah. So the three of them would collaborate as follows. So the two chemists, Hahn and Strassmann, would separate and isolate the radioactive transuranes. So they would, you know, bombard uranium with a bunch yeah. of neutrons. And then there would be a bunch of deca- radioactive decay. And then you'd get these various other elements. So then mm-hmm. they would try to, like, siphon them off, figure out which each one was. And Meitner, the physicist, would propose the nuclear decay pathways to explain these products. Uh-huh. So she was explaining why they saw what they saw when they bombarded uranium. Wow. Yeah. Overnight, German troops marched into Austria and the protection Meitner's Austrian citizenship had provided her was gone. Oh. And Kurt Hess, a Nazi scientist on the top floor of Lisa Meitner's Kaiser Wilhelm Institute remarked, the Jewess endangers the Institute. Ew. Yep. 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 That yep. is despicable. And then word of this denunciation reached Otto Hahn, who was in charge of this institute, the next day. And Otto Hahn returned to the institute and informed Elisa that she needed to leave the institute at once. It turns out that she didn't need to leave and she could stay for now. However, the die had been cast and Lisa knew that Hahn was more willing to sell her out for the sake of his position at the institute. Yeah. So even though she got to stay... And they'd worked together for so yeah. long, like 20 years, 30 yeah. years. Um, I don't think that long. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Then offers became, came trickling in to visit other universities in other countries because oh, scientists okay. outside of Germany were trying to get her out of That's Germany. That's good, yeah. 
And for instance, Adrian Fokker and Dirk Koster, who were in the Netherlands, offered for her to come and work with them, but they only managed to get like a year of salary. Okay. So they're like, come, we can't promise you that much. Yeah. But like, you need to get out of Germany. Yeah. But Lisa did not take the life preserver, however, and she wanted to stay in Berlin. Oh, my gosh. And even when all signs indicated that it was time to leave, Lisa clung to the one possibility that she could somehow be allowed to continue her research. However, on May 10th, 1938, uh, Lisa went to the Danish consulate to secure a travel visa to go to the Netherlands because she changed her mind. Yeah. Only to find that they had rendered her Austrian passport invalid. Because there was no Austria, because Germany had taken over Austria. So she needed a German passport to go anywhere. Oh my gosh. This happens in The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Which I'm sure is probably based on... Ugh. uh, Yeah. So, yeah, word reached Lisa that new restrictions forbidding travel outside of Germany were about to go into effect also. Um, And her only hope was to receive word that she might get a new German passport. Wow. And then she did receive word from the German minister, and he says, I may most humbly tell you, in response to your letter of the 12th of last month, that political considerations are in effect that prevent the issuance of a passport for Frau Professor Meitner to travel abroad. It is considered undesirable that well-known Jews leave Germany to travel abroad, where they appear to be representatives of German science, or with their names and their corresponding experience, might even demonstrate their inner attitude towards Germany. Surely the Kaiser Wilhelm Institute can find a way for Professor Frau Meitner to remain in Germany even after she resigns, and if circumstances (laughs) permit, she can work privately in the interests of Kaiser Wilhelm. But she has to resign Yeah, she's not going to get money. Yeah. This statement represents in particular the view of the Reichsfuhrer SS and chief of the German police. So, okay, do you know, like, if she had just tried to leave, would that be impossible? Like, the borders were kind of The borders were monitored. Okay. Uh, Um, Wow. So, Lisa Meitner was now officially on notice not to leave Germany. Ugh. Um, But she also, like, didn't have a German passport, so it would be hard for her to get out anyways. Right. But yeah, the borders were at this point being monitored. Yeah. And so Dirk Koster, the one of the guys from Amsterdam yeah. who had offered her a position, was especially nervous about Lisa's situation in Germany and decided to travel to Germany himself to Aww. assess the situation and, if necessarily, personally try to take her out of the country. That's really nice. And then, at the same time, Lisa was offered a chance to work in Sweden at a new institute dedicated to nuclear physics. Yeah. And this seemed better than the one year of funding that Koster had mm. offered her, and so... Meitner decided to go to Sweden if she could manage to get out of Germany. Oh my gosh. Then at that time, they learned that German borders were about to be sealed off completely to German scientists, not allowing Lisa to leave. And so the time was to either act and leave Germany or just see how it, like, ride it out in Germany. Yeah, or hide. Yeah. Yeah. So Dirk Koster received word that Lise would be welcomed into the Netherlands so that he could actually bring her there. And so he set out immediately to take her back okay. with him. Wow. Okay, this next section is called The Escape. Oh my god, I can't. This is like, <laughs> I mean, I kind of know what happens, but it's still riveting. Okay, so that night, Otto Hahn went home with her. Oh, that sounds... <laughs> and they got funky. Ew. What? No, you no. can't use the word funky. Why not? It's just a gross word. A gross word for... They Sexual got, relations. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, Otto Which Hahn. Didn't happen. No, Otto Hahn went home with her, helping her back a few of her belongings. So he was like, "You can't work here anymore. I will not defend you or hide." But like, he still had some friendship. I I mean, like, I, I'm sure like, I haven't looked up too much about their relationship. I mean, they worked together for a long, long yeah. time, and. I think he had her interests at heart, but also wasn't willing to, like, stick go his neck against, out too much yeah. go, or go against. So, mm. yeah. Interesting. But, okay, so while they were saying their goodbyes, Han slipped his mother's diamond ring into her pocket, oh saying, keep gosh. this, you may need it. So he's not proposing. Yeah, right. He's just giving her some wealth. Yeah. Um, and then... That's very kind. Yeah. And then this guy, Paul Rosebud... I'm going to call him Rosebud. From, like, Citizen Kane. Is that? That's the 
spoiler alert, spoiler alert. name of the sled of the really rich guy, Rosebud. Oh. That's the words he says as he dies. Oh. I have something. Okay. Rosebud. And everyone's like, what does Rosebud mean? And then, uh, anyway. Yeah. I love it. I we can know. just cut no, that yeah. out. I like it. <laughs> okay. So he drove her to the train station, and he was a scientific publisher who had also successfully relocated his own Jewish wife and daughter previously and had served as an allied spy, uh, using his influential position in the scientific community to gather German wow. scientific intelligence. So he drops her off at the train station. And at the train station, on the train, is also Dirk Koster, <laughs> but they just greet each other as if by chance. So they're both supposed to be on this train, oh, and like, he's there to take her back, kinda. but they're pretending that they're not oh my gosh, this is like on the train movie. together. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, so they're on the train, and they're starting to head... Oh, I can see it now. Yeah. <laughs> and out of, out of Germany, um, chemist Kirk Hess, I think that's the dick that was called her like the <laughs> Jewish air. I don't know. Remember, he, uh, he's the Nazi. Ugh. Uh, and he, he was on the train. No, oh. but he at the same time had alerted the authorities that she was about to run. Oh, my God. Just mind your own business. <laughs> He's a Nazi. Uh, he can't mind his own business. Oh, my God. That's insane. Okay, so they're, they're getting towards the border, and they're all, the authorities, the Nazis, are also realizing that she's about uh. to run. Luckily, they get to Grunigan. Where's that? Oh, that, that's in <laughs> the Netherlands. Okay, so okay. they make it out yeah. of Germany. Um, and at that time, Koster telegrams Otto Hahn that the baby had arrived... To which Han replied, heartiest congratulations. I was, of course, very happy about the news as we were somewhat worried lately. Oh, that's sweet. And so then essentially there's like some issues because Sweden's not going to. So she was going to go to Sweden and then Sweden is like, well, you need a German passport in order for us to give you a visa to come in. Jesus. You know. Like Sweden, think about this for 10 seconds. Why doesn't she have a German passport? Maybe change your laws a little bit. Open borders, man. Yeah. But then it eventually gets resolved. And so yeah. then she receives a Swedish visa without restrictions. Okay. And she begins work at the new Noble Institute for Experimental Physics in S- Stockholm, Sweden. However, when she gets there, she's shocked to find out that rather than being a bustling center of scientific research, the new institute was mostly empty and unequipped, and she was left to fend for herself. So it's just like an empty <laughs> building they've not quite... Well, is it just because it's the middle of the war? They maybe had started like setting up this building and then kind of had to yeah, like, it's new funds probably for a few years. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then she writes to Otto Hahn saying, "Perhaps you can cannot fully appreciate how unhappy it makes me to realize that you always think that I am unfair and embittered, and that you also say so to other people. If you think it over, it cannot." be difficult to understand what it means that I have none of my scientific equipment. For Aww. me, that is much harder than everything else. But I am ar- I am really not embittered. It is just that I see no real purpose in my life at the moment, and I'm very oh lonely. My gosh. Work can hardly be thought of. There is no equipment for doing experiments, and in the entire building, just four young physicists and very bureaucratic working rules. So she's pretty much just alone with, like, no equipment to do her yeah. stuff, and no money, and in Sweden. It's cold and there. There's no like, you know, Candy Crush doesn't exist yet. Nope. So wasting time nope. is really hard to do. And yeah, so at this time she had nothing left to her name and was now starting over at the age of fifty nine oh in my Sweden. Gosh. However, she's still she's still doing some research yeah. and Lisa arrived in Copenhagen for some R and R relaxation and research. <laughs> oh no. <nice. laughs> yeah, yeah. And Otto Hahn arrived also in Copenhagen, and they talked physics all day and oh, saw wow. Hahn off on the train station the following morning. So wow. they kind of had this, like, secret work meeting. Cool. And Lisa was skeptical of multiple labs' works that showed that irradiating uranium uh, produced a radioisotope that had a half-life of 3.5 hour f- hours. Hmm. Why? I don't know. Okay. It's physics. Yeah. I'm sure they had good reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Strassman, who's the person who also had worked with her in Otto Hahn, like okay. in that little trio. Yeah. He says, to this day, I remain con- convinced that it was L. Meitner's critical demand that motivated us to test our findings once again, after which the result came to us. Nice. 
And so, spurred by Elise's directive in their secret Copenhagen meeting the previous month, Han and Strassman, with the help of a new lab assistant, worked tirelessly to isolate the 2.5-hour half-life rate uh, isotope. Yeah. Instead, they found that there was barium in the filtrate. Huh. And, like, apparently this is shocking, and I was like, I don't understand. (laughs) (laughs) Does that that seem shocking to you? Uranium to barium? Okay, so this was very bizarre because they only thought that radioactive elements could either undergo beta decay or alpha decay, which can cause minor changes in the atomic number of the elements. So, like, mm-hmm. beta decay, in, I'm, I think, increase it, can increase the atomic number by one, and alpha decay is when you lose a helium, and uh-huh. so you, go, you lose two <laughs> neutrons. Uranium is 92, has 92 neutrons, and barium has 56. Oh, so basically, so they were seeing that uranium was breaking down into barium? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And so, oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, so they didn't yeah. realize, they only thought you could lose or gain a couple neutrons. Oh. Oh, so they just discovered fission? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so Han... Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I Han... There. I understand yeah. physics, you guys. I don't know how to <laughs> plug in a microphone, but... <laughs> So Han, uh, too impatient to wait for Lise to reply about his this new finding, went ahead and published his results in Natra Wissenschaften paper. Of course. Uh, Lisa, receiving news of this finding, however, sat down with her nephew Otto Frisch to think about what this meant and like why you'd see yeah. barium. Because Han had not actually put together... Oh. He had just seen like, oh, this if happens. you do this, this happens. Yeah. And so... What Han and Strassman accomplished in the laboratory, Lisa explained as follows. Because she was the one, they would do the experiments, and then she was the one that would figure out the chem- the pathways oh, that would explain why yeah. it had decayed the way it had. Very That's cool. kind of how their dynamic had worked. Yeah. And so, and so she found that uranium-235, when irradiated with a neutron, would capture that neutron and then split into two smaller halves, barium and krypton. Wow. And so Han and Strassman's paper was published in Naturwissenschaften. I like saying that. <laughs> German words are fun. You do it well. Thank I you. Can't, I got yeah. the German award in ninth grade. The German award. Yeah, the ger- <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, making public the discovery of nuclear fission, which wasn't named mm. as such until Meitner and Frisch's paper in Nature mm. the following month. So because of the Nazi regime... Han could never have included Lisa's name as a co-author of his paper. Right. Because they had met and talked about research. The fact that the two of them still remained in contact was very dangerous for him. Right, yeah. So they can't, she can't be on papers. Yeah. Um, And then Lisa, slowly realizing that she was being written out of the fission discovery, confided in her brother saying, Many people here must think I contributed absolutely nothing to it, and now I am so discouraged. Although I believe I used to do good work, now I have lost my self-confidence. Oh, Wait, that was with her nephew, right? Or something? Yeah, Sorry. so her and her nephew are the ones that then wrote the nature paper that explain okay. how but the was, results from Otto and Strassman, yeah. why they make sense. Was he also writing her out, or... No, I guess not. no. Okay. She so she's she's in that, but she yeah, also contributed the to the experiment. Yeah. But she's not in that. Okay, interesting. Um, and you'll see there's yeah. some awards that go to Otto Hahn. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know um, that part. So yeah, so in this Nature paper with Lisa and her nephew Frisch, Lisa explains the theory behind Hahn and Strassman's findings. It seems therefore. And she says, it seems therefore possible that the uranium nucleus has only small stability of form and may, after neutron capture, divide itself into two nuclei of roughly equal size. These two nuclei will repel each other and should gain a total kinetic energy of C200. Do you know what MEV stands for? Mm. Million uh, volts. Yeah. It's a lot of energy, as okay. you might imagine. Electric volts? Or something? Mm. I don't know. Anyways, it creates a lot of energy. Yeah. So uranium seemingly had the makings of a chain reaction, which was initiated by neutrons and potentially sustained by the neutrons from its own nucleus. Mm. An exciting vision arose that by assembling enough pure uranium, one might start a controlled chain reaction and liberate nuclear energy on a scale that could be harnessed. Wow. 
And of course, this is World War II. It's not quite, it's like the beginnings of World War II. Oh, okay. I see. And nuclear fission has been discovered. And so people are already starting to think on how can we use this to make a bomb. Like as soon as nuclear fission came up. Wow. So at this time, Germany establishes a uranium society, um, which was a scientific effort to develop nuclear weapons. Cool. Cool, cool. And then concerned about the calamitous results in Germany, were they to be the first one to create an atomic bomb? This fit, uh, Leo Schlizzard, Lizard, I'm going to call him Leo Lizard, <laughs> along with physicist <laughs> Eugene Wigner, took a drive to discuss matters with Albert Einstein. Whoa. Einstein wrote a letter, and it was uh-huh. translated into English, and it was sent to President Roosevelt. Yeah. And this is what it said. This new phenomenon would also lead to the construction of bombs, and it is conceivable, though much less certain, that extremely powerful bombs of a new type may thus be constructed. A single bomb of this type, carried by boat and exploded in a port, might very well destroy the whole port together and some of the surrounding territory. And Roosevelt responded, what you are after is to see that the Nazis don't blow us up. It's like, well, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not have that happen. Right. Okay. So on September 1st, 1939... The United States makes its own uranium club. Great. I like that it's called a club. Like that makes like it less so innocent. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it's not about killing hundreds of thousands yeah, of people. Exactly. Then overnight, Nazi Germany just takes Denmark. Right. Yeah. Because it's Denmark. Yeah. Um, no offense, but it's small, and Germany's big. And Neil you can't say that. <laughs> Wait, because <laughs> it's Denmark. <laughs> I'll cut it out. Okay. Uh, Niels Bohr, who was Jewish by virtue of his mother, was now in special oh, danger yeah. as his laboratory housed one of the world's only particle accelerators. And in addition, he was well known for taking in Jewish refugee scientists. Oh, wow. Um, and Bohr was also in possession of the Nobel Prizes of two uh, German-Jewish uh, Nobel laureates. Like he was holding them yeah. for them? Yeah. Okay. And it was illegal to take gold out of Germany at the time, so these two oh. Nobel laureates uh, had sent their me- but had they had sent their medals to Copenhagen oh, for protection, for safekeeping. And this was a crime okay. potentially re- that could result in capital punishment. So uh, George D. Hevesi, I don't know how to pronounce yeah. that. He, he was a Jewish chemist and also a future Nobel Nobel laureate. So many Nobel laureates in this group. He decided to dissolve them in Agua Regia. Huh. Oh, I think I've read about this story before. It's crazy. Yeah. So Agua Regia, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, is a solution of one part concentrated hydrochloric acid and three parts nitric acid. That sounds bad. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's so named as the Water of Kings because it's ability to dissolve gold. Wow. So he spent the entire first day of the occupation of Denmark, frantically dissolving all of these gold medals. Oh my gosh. uh, Which takes, I guess, a long time. And so there's just a vial in their lab of, like, liquid gold. And so after the war, I'm skipping ahead for a second, and I'll go back, but they were able to go back into the lab, and that flask was still there. Oh, interesting. Because it's not clear that that's gold. It's just this, like, yellow liquid. And they precipitated out the gold medal, the yeah, the gold medal, and the Nobel Foundation recast them and rep- Aww, re- re-gave them amazing. to the Nobel laureates. Okay, so back to the war. Yeah, we're cl- we're close. <laughs> we're close to the finale. I promise. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Um, I'm, I'm engaged. You're in it. You're yeah. In it? Okay. December seventh, nineteen forty-one. Mm. Pearl Harbor. Yeah, we still have a few years left. Mm-hmm. So Pearl Harbor occurs in the United States. Declares war on Japan. Yeah. And President Roosevelt gives the go-ahead to proceed with the development of an atomic bomb. Mm. And then on December 11th, Hitler unilaterally declares war on the United States. And then the United States declares war on... Yeah. Like, every, clearly we're on, at war now. We're, yeah. Okay, now I'm skipping a bunch. So That's, May 1943, we're still no closer to building a bomb than we were oh, in 1941. Man. It seems like we haven't made any progress. And from the United States' point of view, it's almost guaranteed that the Germans, who themselves had discovered fission, should be further along in the development of the bomb mm. than Americans. Yeah. So there's this real sense that there's a 
ticking time bomb to get a bomb made before the Germans do. Who wins, though? I know. I know. (laughs) So at this time, Lisa had also been approached. So she's been in Sweden the whole time in this weird abandoned lab. Yeah, feeling sad because she probably can't do the research she wants to after basically discovering something that's going to change the world forever. (laughs) So uh, she, at this point, she was approached by a British contingent and asked to join the Los Alamos group working on constructing a fissionable weapon. And she was also asked a second time by her nephew, Otto Frisch, who was at the time working at Los Alamos. And Los Alamos would have given Lisa the ability to work on cutting-edge physics, be among physics colleagues, and would have mm-hmm. relieved her from the isolation she felt in the lab at Stockholm. And yeah. yet she refused both times, saying, I will have nothing to do with the bomb. Oh, So she just stayed great. in Sweden. Yeah. Then on April 24th, 1945, 12 days after Truman is sworn in as the 33rd president, he's informed about the Manhattan Project. Yeah. Because nobody knew about this except Roosevelt. Yeah. And Truman agreed to continue the work at Los Alamos. Mm -hmm. Then on April 30th, 1945, with Allied and Soviet forces converging on Berlin, Hitler shot himself to death in his bunker. So this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. And then on June 22nd, 1945, in Okinawa, Japan, the Battle of Okinawa finally ended and many Japanese soldiers committed suicide over being captured. And it was becoming increasingly evident that even if the Japanese had no chance of winning the war... They would fight to the bitter end. And it seemed that to the Japanese, surrender was not an option. Mm. So, at the same time, ten captured German nuclear scientists are brought to England and interned at this place called Farm Hall, uh, including uh, Otto Hahn. So he's now (gasps) like a prisoner of war. Yeah. I don't know if it would be called a prisoner of war, but essentially. I mean, so was he part of making an atomic bomb in Germany, like helping after they discovered the fission. I don't think there was, I don't think you could be in Germany, a nuclear not physicist, on that. not working yeah. on that. Okay. I don't think that was. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they're all interned. Yeah. And then on August 6th, the atomic bomb is dropped on Hiroshima. Yeah. On August 7th, uh, Lisa first learns of the atomic bomb when a reporter called in the morning And the news to her was so jarring that she felt it necessary to take a five-hour walk to just escape and think about it. But when she returned, she was met by reporters, photographers, and a stack of telephone messages. Uh, She permitted to be interviewed, and they published an interview under the heading Fleeing Jewess. (laughs) Describing her as... Jewess. Jewess. I know. It's like such a weird... Yeah. Describing her as the woman who fled from Germany, taking the bomb secrets with her and giving them to the Allies. Ugh. So unwittingly, the woman who had would have nothing to do with the bomb was now the cele- celebrity face of the bomb. Right. Replete with the moniker, Jewish mother of the bomb. So that's what she was called. <laughs> Which is great. You, Jewish, she must be super yeah, happy about that. That's, I never knew that she um, didn't want to be a part of making it. Yeah. Because of all of this. Yeah. 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 So then the Nobel Committee announced that Otto Hahn... Now, still an unwilling resident at Farm Hall, was the 1944 recipient of the Nobel Prize. Wait, well, what? So Otto Hahn, while he's interned at this, like, farm <laughs> prison, is announced that he's the recipient of the Nobel Prize for Chemistry for his discovery of the fission of nu- of heavy nuclei for nuclear fission. That's... <laughs> Why would you give someone a Nobel Prize for... I mean, I know it's an amazing discovery, but it's like, what a weird time to give that prize uh-huh. to that person uh-huh. in that situation. Like, I mean, 19... The Nobel so, Prize isn't all that objective. No. And like, I also, <laughs> the more I looked at this, it was like, okay, so Haber uh, uh-huh. got one and he had created like chemical warfare. Yeah. It's, like a, it's a lot of like, oh, you you did this thing, not whether With you should have. With major impact, I guess. Yeah. Like, I guess huh. the process that you have determined is quite novel and influ- wow. important, but I don't know if we should give a million dollars to people when the consequences of the things that they've... I don't know. It's yeah. weird. 
That is weird. Honestly, like when people hear about the Nobel Prize, they think like because someone's the best scientist or like this or that Mm -hmm. and don't think about like how the committee makes their decision. Mm -hmm. And so to everyone else, it means like, look at this great thing they did. Yeah. Versus like, this is this weird political prize that we give out. So, um, (sighs) yeah, so he got a Nobel. Nobel. And Lisa Meitner never received a Nobel Prize for any of her earlier work or her role in the discovery of nuclear fission. But Lisa was happy with Han's achievement. Still, she felt she deserved similar recognition. Yeah. As she confided in a letter to her friend, Surely Han fully deserved the Nobel Prize in chemistry. There's really no doubt about it. But I believe that Otto Robert Frisch and I contributed something not insignificant to the clarification of the process of uranium fission. How it originates and that it produces so much energy. And that was something very remote from Han. So <laughs> she was like, yeah, I, uh, yeah, should have gotten a little bit of that. Yeah. Okay. So on January 25th, 1946, Lise arrived in New York City on her first trip to the United States. Wow. And when she stepped from the plane, she was met by a swarm of reporters and photographers. She was also met by both her sisters who had emigrated to the U.S. and Otto Robert Frisch, who had traveled by train for two days and nights from Los Alamos. And Lisa was named Woman of the Year by the Women's National Press Club. And at a banquet in her honor, she was seated next to President Truman, where he is reported to have said, So you're the little lady who got us into all of this. Oh. <laughs> One, don't call, that. A, like, an adult-ass woman yeah, a little lady. a little lady. And also, I like, mean... As if, like, they had... They couldn't make any decision mm-hmm. otherwise. Anyways, okay, so that's, but at the end of Melanie Fine's book, I just want to read what she says. She mm-hmm. says, Lisa's story is about science and truth in an age of nationalism, bigotry, and censure. It's about opening doors to refugees, even when there is no more room for refugees. And it's about doing what is right, even when the price is too dear. Aww. And so I just liked that. And yeah. that is Lisa Meitner. Wow. Yeah, so she never got a Nobel, but she was allowed to go to the Nobel laureate, like, dinner. Oh, cool. (laughs) As a, like, uh, I guess we probably should have given this to you, but oh well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wait, so was Otto Hahn allowed to give a speech and accept the award, or was he in prison? At some point, he was, I think he was, (laughs) like, let out. why? Give it to him! I think he was let out. Oh, I don't know how long they were all... Yeah. Captain Farm Hall, but, uh. I mean, if he, like, could show, I guess, that he kind of had no other choice and didn't endanger anyone. Yeah. Then maybe they would let him go. Yeah. I'm not sure. Wow, what a complicated. I know. Yeah. She has to escape. I'm glad she escaped. Yeah. Yeah. So we were getting scared there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I knew she escaped, but I was also like, how? But how? How? (laughs) The borders are closing. Um, Yeah. Wow. It was a fun read. Yeah, that sounds really, like, yeah, exciting. If you're interested in further reading, there's a book called Lise Meitner, A Life in Physics by Ruth Lewis Syme, Uh which apparently is really good, and it, like, even fleshes out more of, like, World War II context and how it all kind of interplayed, but it was 550 pages, and I gotta write my dissertation, (laughs) so (laughs) can't do that. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. All right, this is our Women Who Work section. Yeah. For anyone just tuning in for the first time, <laughs> now that they know we know how to use microphones. Yeah. No, this is a... Uh, right, this is a section where we <laughs> where we shout out some badass ladies today, making history right the second. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it, right? That's it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, my first... Okay, this is actually very similar. Not similar in every way. But my first shout-out this week goes to a woman who also should have gotten a Nobel Prize and didn't in physics. (laughs) And you've probably heard about her a bunch this last couple weeks. Her name is... Are you okay? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Is Uh, she British? Yeah, her yes. name is Dr. Jocelyn Bell Burnell. Yes. And she is an amazing physicist that recently won a $3 million prize called the Breakthrough Prize 
For her discovery of pulsars, which I'll describe in a minute, okay, in the late 1960s. Do they do this? Mm, mm, yeah. Mm, 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 mm. I feel like it should have been the 80s, yeah. not the 60s. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jocelyn, would you come back? <laughs> uh, wait, you know, 15 more years. Yeah, it's not vibing with our music right yeah. now. Okay. So she won this $3 million prize maybe a month or two ago. And decided to donate all of that prize money to creating scholarships for women, underrepresented minorities, and refugees in Britain who want to study physics. Awesome. Yeah. Like, $3 million is a lot. Yeah. Like, that's so cool. Um, And yeah, this prize is for scientific achievement and leadership in fundamental physics and has only been given three times before. Oh, so is it just like, it's a sit and wait kind of award? Maybe. Or new? I couldn't tell. Okay. It's a, I think it's very prestigious. I mean, three million bucks is a lot. Yeah. What's a predator that sits and wait? An ambush predator. It's like an ambush award. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or a spider. It's like a spider award. (laughs) Not a jumping spider. Slow and steady. (laughs) She is, I guess, most well known in her field, right, for her discovery of pulsars, Mm, which mm, mm. um, won her advisor at the time a Nobel Prize, even though she was collaborated with him and was the first person to ever even like see the pattern of pulsars on, I can describe it a little bit. Okay. Like. Paint me a picture. Yeah, yeah. She went to Cambridge University for grad school and joined their radio astronomy department. Her advisor had built a telescope in the hopes of finding evidence of quasars, which I did not look up. Sorry. Don't do it. And Belle Brunel was assigned to monitor the output from the telescope. Okay. And when she first found evidence of pulsars, which I guess was this like squiggly signature Mm -hmm. on the output... It was a signal that was, like, slightly different from the usual signal, essentially. She presented it to her advisor, who said it was probably a glitch. Mm. But she was like, no, I don't think so. And so she kept monitoring, and she uh, noticed that these signals were actually coming in a very regular pattern. Every one in a third second. Hmm. And she then started noticing these uh, similar signals coming from different parts of the galaxy. Hmm. And so, like, if they pointed the telescope at one place, they would see the same, like, pulsing signal. And okay. then maybe not at the southern star or nebula, and then not at the southern nebula, but then at another nebula, they would see it. Okay. Okay. Um, and they, once she had found enough of the same pulsing signals, um, she and her advisor published that evidence in nature. And they were like, we're seeing this pulsing signal. <laughs> I'm just giving her a like, most in- I'm sorry, most intense stare. Yeah. They hypothesized in this paper that the pulses could be coming from beams of electromagnetic radiation emitted from neutron stars. So I guess like neutron stars like emit two beams of radiation. So like imagine like you're just standing with your arms out yep it'd be like that and if you were spinning and every time you pass someone you would hit them that's like the pulses (laughs) does that make sense (laughs) so like they were thinking that these stars were turning and when the beams were facing the telescope the telescope would capture it slapping them yeah kind of like yeah the beams were slapping that scope yeah long long distance slapping (laughs) Okay, so that it the discovery received a lot of press with reporters asking Jocelyn stupid questions about her bus size and how many boyfriends she had. What? Yeah. Ugh. Like, oh hey, you discovered this physics thing, but damn those titties. Like <laughs> damn, they're so distracting. I got my own pulsar for you. <laughs> Ew. Ugh. I'm sorry. And she is quoted as saying, "Is like it was very unpleasant." Yeah, I would have loved to tell them to get lost, but I was still a student and I needed a reference from the lab, and they needed the publicity, which is just like what women have to deal yeah. with, like in sciences and other fields. And uh, her advisor won a Nobel Prize for this research in 1974, and she did not. <laughs> And, in fact, no woman has won a Nobel Prize in physics since 1963. 
And, um, but she is actually not mad, I guess, because... she got this three million. The, yeah, the other one's only... Nobel's like, only one million. She's gotten quite a few other prizes okay. in her career, and she thinks because she was a grad student and they've almost... I don't think they've ever given a Nobel Prize yeah. to a grad student that that was a lot of why yeah. she didn't get one, so... Yeah, but anyway, she's still, like, amazing. Yeah. She discovered pulsars, and that's really cool. Love it. Yeah. Okay, so that was our episode. I hope it was clear and clean. Yeah. Well, not clean, but clear and fresh. Fresh and auditorily Pleasing. persuasive. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just follow Step the Tall Pod on Instagram and everywhere else, uh, and you can see Caitlin's... Uh, artistic representations of the women in, that we talked about in yeah. our podcast. Thank you, Emma. You've <laughs> saved us. Uh, and thank you, Artichoke, for making our theme song. Yeah. All right. Go stimulate, stimulate yourself. yourself.